Welcome to Volunteer Plain Talk Podcast, the podcast for today's leaders of volunteers. Your host is me, Meridian Swift. everybody and welcome back to the Volunteer Plane Talk podcast. So glad you're with us. My special guest this time is Laura Rundell and Laura and I have been, um, what would you say, kind of uh, volunteer manager compatriots for quite a long time. I've interviewed Laura in the past in print version And so I'm excited this time to be able to talk to her and have you hear her voice. So, Laura, thank you and welcome. Well, thank you for having me. So glad we, you and I have been talking recently about the resilience of volunteers. And I found that subject so fascinating and so apropos and timely that uh, I thought it would make, uh, and you did too, a, a really good podcast. So, We're here to talk primarily about volunteer resilience. And, Laura, can I ask you this question first? Uh, Resilience is kind of one of those really interesting, nuanced words. What exactly does resilience mean to you? What are we talking about when we talk about resilience? Yeah, you know, and I've been thinking about this topic, obviously, a lot since we chose it for uh, today's discussion. And I... I'm not sure if I have a one one bullet answer for what resilience is, because there's a lot of things that can be considered resilience, but there's some things that we should also clarify are really not resilience that might get thrown in that bucket from time to time. So um, I, I uh, in giving it some thought, I had a couple of ideas of what constitutes resilience. And one of them from a most basic point of view, especially now when we're going through so many challenges, it's been such a rough year for so many people in so many different ways. I was thinking sometimes it's literally just that act of getting up every morning and putting your feet on the floor, getting yourself out of bed, and then putting one foot in front of the other and going about your business of the day. Like just when there's so much that's so challenging, sometimes it's the basic stuff that that constitutes resilience. But of course, it's also things like being able to uh, cope with all the changes that are going on in, in uh, our COVID universe and in the changing volunteer landscape, which uh, is changing more and more as the day goes on. And, you know, being able to roll with some punches. I want to talk a little later about uh, things that aren't, at least in my point of view, things that aren't resilience and why you, you want to draw some lines in the sand in terms of being able to stand up for yourself as well. But I think a lot of it is, again, being able to continue in the face of adversity and being able to roll with some of the changes that come your way. And and every day just getting up and saying, well, today I want to have a positive impact, whether it's in a small way or a large way, but getting up to do that daily business that we do every day. Uh, you know, I could not possibly agree with you more. And I think that for volunteer managers, I think honestly, sometimes that is, forget about the pandemic, that is actually our day-to-day existence, which is 
okay, um, I have so much to do. There's so much riding on my shoulders. So much is expected of me. I expect so much of myself, but um, I'm going to get up again. And because I cling to or I see the goodness and the uh, things that I'm doing that are, are, are so meaningful in society that I am going to get, I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to get going. And now we've added in this tremendous, as you say, change in this tremendous uh, upheaval with this pandemic. So uh, that's just an added layer to that idea that, you know, you open your eyes and you're like, should I get out of bed uh, and go to my uh, computer and Zoom again? Or should I just return and, and give it all up? <laughs> and that, it's so true. And I think all of our, you know, we were talking about coping with change, but I think just about everybody's copometers, as I call it, are really getting full at this point. You know, we mm-hmm. keep getting thrown one more loop and one more loop. And I think we're all at that point. Where we're like, gosh, I don't know how much more I can cope with. But we keep we keep moving forward. I, I love that. The copometer. And it's I, I, <laughs> I can see the little needle <laughs> going up and going up into the red zone. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. You have volunteers who you, I I believe, would identify as resilient. Can you tell us a little bit about what you see in them or what makes them resilient or, you know, what you've observed from them? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So there's and I've been thinking about some of my most resilient volunteers and, and some of the qualities they had. And I think some of it was honestly, they just never gave any thought to do anything differently. And one of my favorite stories I know you and I talked about earlier was um, a volunteer I worked with who had signed up to work at a special event for the organization I was with at the time. And there was a, you know, a little bit of a weather kerfuffle and um, the staff were fleeing the building in droves. And meanwhile, we had this event, you know, happening where we had uh, parents and, and um, kids coming to visit us. And the volunteer drove there in this horrible weather and showed up and she was ready to go. And the staff were all leaving. And, and I kidded her a lot about this afterwards. And she's like, well, you know, it just never occurred to me not to show up. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty darn resilient. You know, it just wouldn't have occurred to her not to get in the car and start that trip despite this major weather issue going on. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. And so would you say that volunteers who are resilient are more attached to the mission or is this just something that's part of their personality i think it's a little bit it's a lot of different things and thinking about what makes some volunteers more resilient than others i think we also have to be careful how we again how we define resilient i don't think we can constantly not be ready for volunteers or waste their time or ask them to do a project and then not be prepared and expect them to keep showing up. That's that's not resilience. You know, asking them to constantly put up with poor organizational planning is not a good example in my mind of what volunteer res- resilience is. I think um, we have to do our part. We have to be ready for them, and we have to be able to effectively listen to them and manage them the w- same way we would engage and manage paid staff in a lot of ways. 
And um, one of the other stories I was thinking about, this is one of my favorites from the World of Volunteer Engagement. Um, again, a different organization. We had a volunteer who really cared very passionately about the mission. And so much so that he would do things like give tours to kindergartners, even though it was his least favorite thing to do. But he would always show up. He would always be there. But he had sort of he was one of those volunteers that sometimes had a habit of telling staff the 30 million other things we should be doing. And so sometimes staff were not as always receptive to those suggestions all the time. And so I gave a lot of thought to how best to engage him. And we had a special project that needed to be taken on. It involved a lot of very detailed research, kind of working in a space of the building that was not glamorous. It was kind of down in the basement, working with this old clunky equipment. But it was very scientifically driven, which was he which he was really enthused about. So when I talked to him, you know, I said, it's okay to say no, that you tell me if this isn't your cup of tea, that's a perfectly fine answer. But here's this project. And I was wondering if you'd like to take it on. And he was really happy about it. And to the credit of the organization, the woman supervising that project was willing to work with him. She could have also said, oh, you know, that guy's just too much work. I just don't want to take that on. But she was willing to give him a try. He was willing to give it a try. And it ended up being a huge success. And I knew it was a success when he was standing around talking to some other volunteers over coffee one day. And I could hear them saying, well, why isn't, why aren't they doing this? And why aren't they doing that? And staff should do this and staff should do that. And he said, you know, I spent a lot of time in, in the office working on this project. And you don't realize how busy staff really are and how much they're really trying to do. So I think that's another example of the organization has to help volunteers be resilient and not just take somebody who might need a little bit more work and say, oh, gosh, that guy's kind of a pain. I don't want to take that on. And look at what what's his motivation? Is it coming from a place of caring about the organization and the mission or is it something else? And so I think we also have to help volunteers be resistant and find the opportunity that they are really going to be passionate and enthused about too. That is a a great story on so many levels. And I just want to kind of circle back to something you said that I thought was just incredibly brilliant. There's a difference between being resilient and putting up with a lot of mismanagement and garbage. Yes. Yeah. And that just makes me realize that resilience cannot be conflated with, oh, well, the volunteers just need to keep coming back no matter what we shovel at them. Absolutely. And I think that also comes into play with our own resilience as professionals, too. Sometimes we have to say no, you know, um, no, you can't have 20 volunteers in two hours for mailing a new you were going to need help with six months ago. You know, sometimes as as leaders of our volunteer programs, we also have to stand up for our volunteers and stand up for ourselves as professionals as well and say, you know, nope, that is just not an appropriate use of volunteer time. They can't valet park the cars at this event because you don't want to pay extra money for a valet parker, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever those weird requests are that really are not the best use of a volunteer's resources. But maybe resilience has to do with factors that are really not within our control, such as the pandemic or things change or or things like that, versus 
we're just being unreasonable. Yeah, I think some of it has to do with what we're asking volunteers to do, how we're asking them to do it. And I think a lot of that, one one thing I've learned in, in years of working for a lot of different nonprofits, too, a lot of that comes from the attitude from the top down. And if an organization's leadership is really interested in in engaging volunteers to do high-level work and utilizing all of their special skills and expertise and education, because a lot of folks that volunteer have, you know, have come from a really interesting career path themselves and have a lot to give. So if organizational leadership is really ready to embrace that expertise and use that to its full extent, I think the volunteer program will be much more resilient. But, you know, unfortunately, I think if you're at one of those organizations where you go to staff and say, well, how can a volunteer help you when they say, oh, I don't have any mailings, but thanks, you're going to have a little bit of an uphill battle to really have a program that utilizes their skills that really helps engage them and the great mission critical work that volunteers could be doing. It all kind of ties back to how we're viewing the volunteers and how we're viewing their roles within the organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how we listen to them and how we engage them. One of the things I thought about, too, is when we talk about volunteers who maybe aren't resilient, I was thinking to myself, well, is that person really not resilient or have they have they been trying to communicate with staff about something that's not working and kind of been blown off a couple of times too? Have they been uh, trying to provide input that we really need to hear and, and just aren't listening to in the ways that we need to? So just as, again, just as in paid staff, a lot of the things that make paid staff resilient also have to do with making unpaid staff resilient. That is so true. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you if you've um, seen, witnessed, uh, experienced any volunteers who really didn't have a lot of resilience. And I guess by that, I, I don't mean volunteers who really try and then they're thwarted, but volunteers who kind of let things throw them. Mm. Oh, gosh, that's a That's a good one. Um yeah, I'm trying to think myself uh, if I've had any, and and I think I, I think I have. I've had just a handful, not a lot, of volunteers who just were not open to any change at all. I remember one volunteer in particular, and this was so interesting because she was like a, a right hand man woman actually to me, and for years I depended on her. As the years went by, I began to see her start to just get cranky and complainy and things like that. And and it was distressing to me. And anyway, a long story short, one day she said, I went from living in a home with my uh, mother and father who took wonderful care of me. I married my husband, lived in his home until he died, which she said, and I've never had to do anything on my own, such as I don't know how to put gas in my tank. And I began to realize she never had, she, and she told me, she said, I never had challenges in my life. And I, and I thought, okay. Well, and I think some of it, 
and thinking about it too, comes down to what individuals' motives are for volunteering too. And, and we'd all, you know, we'd all as professionals like to think that all volunteers are passionate about the mission of the organization that we're choosing. But, you know, sometimes there are folks that are volunteering for different reasons. And so to your point too, a little, a little bump in the road might throw them a little bit more than somebody who is really who really is dedicated to the larger mission of what we're doing versus somebody who's like, well, I just kind of need to keep busy. So I need to do something. And, and so I think sometimes what brings volunteers to us may also be a better indication of their resilience. But to your point too, what challenges they're facing in their home life that we may have no idea about also certainly affects how they come to us every morning as a volunteer, what they're bringing in every day to just, again, just as is with staff, you know, if we're dealing with a loved one who is struggling with health issues or finance, if we're having a financial crisis, that's going to affect every, every aspect of our work life, just like it would for a volunteer. And two, we have to remember that volunteers are not typically with us for 40 hours a week. And of course, us nonprofit staff, uh, staff people typically work more than 40 hours a week, but they're not typically with us 40 hours a week. So we're not exactly immersed in their lives as much as, as staff is. And, and you're right. Everything else they have going on can certainly overshadow the times that they spend with us. So Laura, you, you're right that we can't look at volunteers as these robotic individuals who come to us, they're resilient or they're not. They're complex human beings. Absolutely. And they have, and, and again, they require the same level of management and support and engagement that, that you would have paid staff. And, and you can't put less time into a volunteer program or less expertise into it and expect you're going to have the same results that you would with a dedicated volunteer manager as well or a program manager. And I think that's, you know, you and I have had many conversations too about the profession as a whole. And I think that's one of the challenges we as a profession have moving forward is how do we advocate for ourselves as a profession? You know, we're so, in some ways we're neither fish nor fowl. We're not really development in that sort of fundraising way. We're not entirely human resources. We're sort of this interesting hybrid. And I think part of us being a resilient profession is, is having those conversations that, that you have started and through your blogs and your, um, now your podcast, which is wonderful. How do we as professionals exhibit resilience? And as a profession, how have we coped during COVID? And how have we managed to keep volunteers looped in? You know, some programs have had to shut down entirely. Some have kind of done hybrid programs. Some have gone to all virtual. Some, you know, like food banks have ramped up to meet unprecedented need. And Every single one of those organizations has had to find a different path forward during very uncertain times. And again, we as a profession, I think, also need to show resilience in how we describe ourselves as a profession. I love the idea that we're hybrid because we are definitely hybrid. You can't lump us in with any other profession, not completely, uh, because engaging unpaid an unpaid workforce 
is unlike anything else that's out there. If we don't do it well, Lord knows there's, you know, 30 other organizations right now that would, that is desperate for volunteer assistance. So if we don't do it, do it well to the best of our abilities, there's going to be other organizations that could certainly utilize good volunteers right now. And I think what we've discovered over the course of um, so many years, and especially during any kind of catastrophic event or traumatic event or a, such as a pandemic or, uh, you know, a, a tornado hits, is that people want to help. And we see this all the time. And, and what I, I don't know about you, but what I'm seeing is this. I call them citizen helpers. They're sometimes called informal volunteers, but it's people who will rush to help because they see a need, they want to fill it, and they really don't want a lot of uh, red tape standing in their way. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us as a profession, we have to be tremendously aware of the trend that is forming. In, in these citizen helpers slash informal volunteers and, and try to be able to convince, show, show our organization, show nonprofits in general that this is, this is, there are trends out there that are going to happen whether we're on board and we're prepared for them or not. So not only the pandemic, but also what's just happening organically out there is something our profession has to wrestle with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that can be so challenging is to make sure, you know, you talk about cutting through red tape, but we also have to make sure we're following proper vetting procedures, too, because the last thing we want to do is say, oh, let's make this as easy as possible and then not do you know, really a, a good job onboarding somebody. And then you have an episode, you know, with a, a vulnerable client of one kind or another. So we also have to make sure we're doing our due diligence for the organization and for the clients or the people or, that we serve. And yet you're right. We don't want to throw a lot of obstacles in the way either. So trying to balance those needs is going to be, is definitely going to be a challenge as we move forward. If you structure a volunteer department kind of in levels where you start with you accept everybody as maybe not volunteering, but maybe as an advocate, and then you can start leveling up from there, more training, more, you know, more information about the organization, more vetting, more getting used to them. They kind of level up in volunteering. And in uh, the last podcast, when I talked with Brittany McGarry, she talked about uh, mapping a volunteer journey. And I think we can create volunteer journeys where we don't make it so difficult to get on a very entry level with our organizations, but yet if you want to work with vulnerable populations, there's a path for you and there's a path for you to become, you know, something elevated or however you want to look at that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and looking at, at what some of those ways we could have different pathways into the organization probably makes sense too. you know, getting to know someone, what path uh, fits you, what path fits us, what what path makes the most use of your skill set. But, you know, talking about what makes some volunteers not cope as well or or snap a little bit when when there are obstacles in their way, too. You know, and I've had a couple of episodes over the years where we've had to make a, a tough decision based on an incident that happened. And 
sometimes volunteers don't react well to that. They'll say, well, you know, you were, you, you shouldn't have let this person go or you shouldn't have let this happen. But, um, sometimes again, I think talking about motivations and, and what spurs people to volunteer, I also have to sometimes step back and say, you know, well, if this person was okay, with X, Y, or Z behavior, is that really the kind of volunteer that we, that we can have, that we can take on at our organization? You know, if they didn't see anything wrong with episode, you know, A, B, or C, is that somebody we can, that really fits into our program too? And so every organization has organizational values. And I think volunteers should be called upon to embody those values and stand up for those values and acknowledge them. So a couple of times when I've had volunteers that have chosen to leave, it's because we had to make a decision reflective of our organizational values. And they said, no, I don't think that, I don't think you should have done that. And I have to respect that. I certainly respect their choice. But again, if we're protecting and serving vulnerable populations, sometimes we've got to draw the line in the sand and say, this is just not acceptable behavior and if a volunteer doesn't respect that, then again, maybe that's time for a discussion of maybe there, maybe there is an organization that might suit you a little better, or maybe this isn't the best choice for you. When someone comes in to volunteer, you know, we have this idea that they're selfless and they're giving, and most of the time they are, you know, so it, it feels like a failure when uh, we have to turn someone away or when they want to leave us because uh, we're not seeing eye to eye or, or things don't work out. So it kind of feels like a personal failure in some way. And and go back to resilience. It's resilient to acknowledge that not everything nor everyone is going to work out in the way we expect or want. Yes, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And I think, again, it comes back to what the core mission is of of whatever your organization is. And I guess if there's one thing I've sort of discovered, if the volunteer isn't really passionate about that core mission, they might, they might still be a great envelope stuffer. They might still be really great at doing, doing a number of different projects. That doesn't mean that their time isn't valuable, but the volunteers that I've seen that have been the most resilient and brought the most to the table were ultimately the ones that were motivated to volunteer because they cared about that organization's mission, whatever it was, you know. I kind of always would talk about uh, secondary motivations, third dairy, although there is no such word as third dairy, but <laughs> third third dairy motivations. Third dairy? And that, is that the right word? What was it? Tertiary, I think Ter- is that the right word? That could very well be, <laughs> but... You know, the underlying, I guess, motivations beyond I want to help this organization can help us a lot when it comes to where does this person fit? Is this person going to be able to suffer the changes that might come in and and get back up again? Can some people just come in and be social and stuff envelopes and that's it? Sure. I mean, what is wrong with that? Really nothing. So. Again, our hybrid profession is almost psychological in some aspects because we have to understand motivations and what drives people to be with us. It's 
interesting you say that too. I was listening to a webinar uh, last week and it reminded me of something that, that I always know and always try and keep in the back of my head, but can sometimes lose sight of in the attempts to put out fires throughout the day. But volunteers always have to know the impact of what they're doing and the time they're giving to our agency. And we can't just say things like, well, you stuffed 500 envelopes or you created 300 widgets, saying what impact it had on somebody's life or yeah, what the impact of what they do is on a daily basis. And I think that's important. Everybody wants to know that their life and their work has meaning. But if you're giving an organization a gift of your time, if you're donating your time to an agency or an organization, you particularly want to know that that's time well spent, that it's had an impact. And I think that's really important to keeping our programs resilient as well as is helping people get a sense of that bigger picture. You know, because of the hour or two that you spent with us this week, these these things happened, you know, not just the outputs, but the outcomes. These are the things that happened because you gave us your time this week. I think that the more volunteers know what the impact their time has had on the lives of the people we're serving makes them more engaged. And the more engaged they are, the more they want to have impact. And it just kind of uh, bolsters one or the other. I call it a symbiotic relationship. And, and, and it's so true. And in order to be resilient, uh, you have to know that you are making an impact at the organization you are volunteering for, or else why bother being resilient? Well, and I I always talk to volunteers at whatever organization I've, I've had the fortune to, to serve with. I've always talked to volunteers about thinking of their work, too, as ripples on a pond. Um, I'll never forget one of the organizations I was with, uh, a young woman, she was 16, came in and wanted to volunteer. And she said it, it was, this was a botanical gardens. And she said, you know, she had come every year to visit with her grandmother and a volunteer every year had helped her pot a plant. And so she wanted to now do that for somebody else or um, another organization I was with. I was talking with a young man who was in his, you know, mid 20s. And he wanted to become a tutor because he said, you know, somebody took the time to tutor me when I needed it. And now I want to I want to help pass that on. Well, of course, the tutor that maybe helped this young man out 10 years ago is never might never know that now he's decided to volunteer because of the experience they gave him. So in addition to that immediate effect of, you know, helping someone learn to read a little bit better or providing providing food for somebody's table that evening or providing a ride for a patient who needs one. There's sort of that immediate effect. And then there's those ripple effects where, you know, I had somebody I was talking to um, when I was at a hospice organization who said, you know, hospice volunteers were great to my dad when, when he needed it. And now that he's passed, I really want to, I really want to give that experience to a family who needs it. So those ripple effects keep going too. And, and, um, so I always try to talk to volunteers about that ripple effect that they may never see. They may never know that the person they tutored has now become a volunteer 20 years later, but those ripple effects are still there. I wish there was a way we, we could capture that because it would be monumental, the amount of ripple effect. I remember walking into the, um, 
the lobby of the care center that I was at uh, one time. And I looked at this lady and she looked so familiar, but I was like, well, I'm not sure. Turns out she wanted to volunteer after I think it was nine years ago. Her dad uh, died on our program and she had promised. And <laughs> the words she said to me were, I told you I would come. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like, and here you are <laughs> nine years later. I'll never forget that. I told you I would come. And I didn't remember her telling me that. Uh, but it took her nine years to to get to the point where she was like, OK, I'm good. I'm ready to do this. And But you're right. I mean, had I left that organization, I never would have seen her. To me, we could take every instance like that, like what you were you're saying and multiply it by what? A hundred, a thousand times? It's got to be a, a, a monumental number that the ripple effect that we don't see, but is actually out there. Yeah, wouldn't that be fabulous if we could find a way of measuring that? Or, I know. You know? <laughs> AI, come on and help us. <laughs> the possibilities. I have always thought of you in in our talks and that um, over the years as a very resilient person. So when you approached me about doing something about resilience, I kind of chuckled inside and, you know, about resilient volunteers. I kind of chuckled inside and said, well, wait a minute, Laura is really a very resilient person to me. And so let me ask you if, if it's OK. Um, personally. How do you feel you use your resilience? What, what are, not secrets or anything, but what are some of the things that you feel you are able to do that? Because I, I look at you and talk to you and you approach things, I think, from a very logical, you, you have the emotion in it, but you have a very logical way of looking at things and solution-oriented way of looking at things. So kind of a long-winded question, but um, I'm asking you about your personal resilience. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for the lovely compliment. I'm not sure that fits. I think you're giving me maybe more credit than I deserve, which kind of brings me to another one of my favorite stories, a little <laughs> bit about myself. But you know, one of the first nonprofits I worked at, I was sort of put in charge of the volunteer program because nobody else had bandwidth to take it on. So they just said, okay, let's give it to Laura. And it was before I had had much training. So I really didn't know what I was doing. And I was, you know, going by the seat of my pants as so many times volunteer leaders do. And I talked with a woman who had um, taken some classes and would come to our, some of our exhibit openings. And she really wanted to volunteer, but she just didn't know how she could do that. So I, I set up a meeting to talk with her. So I, I, at the time I was a department of one and a half and I told her all the different projects that we had going on. And she said something that just made me laugh out loud, which of course in hindsight was probably not very professional, but she said, wow, you balance all of that and you always look so calm and professional. And I thought, oh my God, you're got to be kidding me. I feel like half the day I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off and here, you know, <laughs> And here this, she was saying to me, oh, you're so calm. Your demeanor is so what? And I'm like, okay. So <laughs> I, must be, I must be projecting more than I'm feeling right now. So 
I think we have to cut ourselves some slack, I guess is the really long-winded way of getting at that. We have to cut ourselves some slack and realize, you know, even on those days where we're not feeling it, maybe we're projecting a little more calm and resilience than we realize. But getting back to the essential nut of the question, too, I was actually leading a discussion for volunteers last week on self-care and why self-care was so important to protect ourselves, you know, physically, especially now during the pandemic, but emotionally. And uh, we talked a lot about what keeps volunteers coming back and how what kinds of self-care practices that they enjoyed. And we all shared some of our favorite self-care tips. And it's sort of at the end of the day, what I shared with them was honestly being a volunteer program leader or volunteer engagement specialist, use whatever term you will, that's what makes me resilient. You know, it has been truly a horrendous year. We've been through a lot of challenges. And, you know, at the program where I'm working now, we provide rides to people who need rides to doctor's appointments who would never get them. And I put the, you know, we'll get calls from people who have last minute requests they need to get to the doctor and I'll put it out there. And invariably, somebody will sign up and we'll provide that ride. And, and we have people that need help with grocery shopping and somebody will, will agree to sign on and help that senior in need. And I think to myself, those are the, these are the folks that get me up in the morning. Again, circling back to where we started at the beginning of the podcast. So for me, some days when, when I just don't want to put my feet on the floor and I don't want to put one foot in front of the other, I think about all of the volunteers who do so much with so little fanfare. And typically it's the volunteers that do the most who are always the ones that say, oh, don't put me in a spotlight. Don't thank me. Don't feature me. I don't do very much. You know, those are the ones that really keep the programs running, keep keep the medical appointments filled, keep the food pantry going, whatever whatever the need is. And they just continually respond with grace, with resilience, with humor, um, with good faith. And so at the end of the day, in terms of my own resilience, I always am honored that I have been able to be part of this profession. And I'm so grateful to be able to do it. And I'm so grateful to be able to work with the volunteers that I've spent my life working with. And to me, at the end of the day, what gets me up in the morning is I think to myself, okay, what can I do today to help our volunteers be more effective in whatever their chosen role is. And if I can, at the end of the day, when I shut that computer down, if I feel like I've done one or two things that have helped them be more effective, that have helped them assist one more family or um, provide one more ride, then I know that's been a day well spent. And that's what gets me up in the morning. Wow, that that's really powerful, Laura. I, I cannot possibly add anything better uh, to that than, than what you have said. No, really, honestly, so well put. But that does make me think of one final question, and then I'm going to ask you if you have anything that we haven't covered. But given all that, do you have any advice for brand new volunteer managers, someone new to this profession? Oh, gosh. Um Tongue in cheek, I was about to say, run while you still have. <laughs> That's okay. You can say that. No, I would I, honestly, I would say, get in there. Don't don't be afraid to admit your mistakes to volunteers too. And 
you know, it's basic. Again, it's basic management. Do what you say. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. If you mess up, fess up and manage the way you would want to be managed. You know, again, I always think of that. I always try and talk about volunteers as giving us a gift of their time or donating their time. So they are every bit as valuable as the mega donor who might write out a check at the end of the fiscal year. So treat them with that same degree of respect. Listen to them in the same way you would listen to somebody that donated money to your organization. But also don't be afraid to stand up for your organization's values. Don't defend the indefensible just because they're a volunteer. You know, if something is indefensible behavior or if it's inappropriate, it's inappropriate. And it doesn't matter, again, whether that's a paid or an unpaid staff. So you have to be willing to stand up for your organization. You've got to be willing to stand up for your volunteer corps. Like I said, it's okay sometimes to say no. You know, no, it's not okay that you told me 430 that you need 20 volunteers tomorrow morning at 830. And no, I'm not going to do that for you. You have to stand up for yourself. And, and again, getting back to what makes us resilient, especially in the nonprofit world, I think there's sort of this false expectancy that to really be a dedicated employee in a nonprofit, like you're saying, oh, nobody works 40 hours. Well, you know, we're not getting paid the same amount we would be if we were earning a corporate salary and working corporate hours. So I think part of self-care and resilience is also setting those boundaries for yourself and saying, yep, this work I do is important, but I'm leaving at the end of the day and I'm not checking emails until midnight or at 530 in the morning and and making sure you're taking care of yourself as a as a professional as well. This has been a really fascinating and really, I think, in-depth topic, Laura. So thank you for bringing this up and putting resilience in the spotlight because it is extremely important. And so is there anything we haven't touched on or anything you would like to leave the listeners with? And uh, let me just say thank you so much for, I always learn things from you and I, I just love the whole, um, what was it that you called the meter, the uh, copameter? <laughs> I love the copameter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have that stuck in my head now, in a, in a really good way, though. Um, but anything you'd like to uh, say that we haven't uh, touched on? I, I can't think of anything. I think, as usual, we we covered the waterfront meridian, and in our chats, I always learn as a lot from you as well. And I think, again, that's that's the joy of our profession. Is I feel like. This I've been in this profession for 20 years now, and I feel like I never stop learning how to do it better and how to do it smarter. And maybe that's what keeps me coming back too. is there's always that challenge of, oh, gosh, I could have done this a little better. I could have handled this a little bit better. So I feel, as I said, I feel very blessed that I've had 20 years to do this. And um I thank you for inviting me to be part of this discussion today and all the work you do. You know, I think you are one of those unsung heroes in the profession too. And when I'm, when I, I always find that I have to tell you in your blogs and your podcasts, they sometimes hit when I'm having one of those days where I say to myself, why am I doing this again? And I'll read your blog or your podcast and I'll have a really good laugh and then I'll pick myself up and keep going on <laughs> to the stuff I need to do every day. That's so, why you're so resilient. 
I love that about you. Yeah, you you definitely are very resilient. And thank you for all you do and for your wisdom. And, and like I said, you're so solution-oriented, and we need that. We need solutions to the challenges that we face, especially now. And so the more that we can share with one another and then with the community and the more discussions we have, the more we share with one another things that are working. And even if it's just, you know, personal rants, you know what? Other people are feeling what we're feeling. So don't feel alone out there. We're, Absolutely. We're, yeah, we're we're a hybrid profession. We feel it. We know it. And we're all trying to make it better. And you know what? We're surrounded by people who are resilient who are caring and kind, like you said, you get up and those are the people that inspire you. So we're very blessed and very lucky and fortunate to to be part of this profession. And, um, you know, if we can leave it a little bit better than we found it, then we have done something really wonderful. We have. And actually, if I can stick one more note in there, yeah. advice mm-hmm. for other professionals, and that is, Make time to have a cup of coffee or nowadays a virtual cup of coffee with people who do what you do for a living. Um, you know, when I was new to the profession, I connected with three women who ran similar volunteer-based programs and similar organizations. And I suppose in some ways we were competitors, but we were, we, you know, we all were in a position where nobody else in our agency does anything remotely what we do. We're a hybrid most organizations, volunteer managers may wear several hats, but they're certainly generally very rarely more than one volunteer manager in an organization. So making time to have those conversations with, well, gosh, how did you handle X, Y, and Z? Or what are you doing now about this criminal background check? Or that was some of the, and that was some of the best time I've spent is just talking with others who do what I do as a profession. And if there isn't an organization in your town or your area that facilitates that, don't be afraid to reach out and just call another organization's volunteer manager and say, you know, would you ever like to just chat sometime? Yeah, that is some of the best time I've spent and some of the, and I've learned the most from my colleagues. Um, Absolutely. From what they've done. Yeah, no, you're so right. Peer group meetings or just one on one, but uh talk to someone who's doing something similar to you and you're gonna find you're not alone out there. Right. Not at all. Yeah. Right. Well, I know it's snowing by you and it has been snowing and this has been kind of a very cold snap because we're talking right in the middle of February and this will will go out soon. So I want you to stay warm and be good. And thanks so much, Laura. Really appreciate all you do. And 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 thanks for coming on and talking about resilience. Happy to. Thanks for having me. Okay, great. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Volunteer Plane Talk podcast. Big thank you to Alternate Timelines for the use of their music. For more volunteer management talk, or if you just want to reach out to me, please visit my website, volunteerplanetalk.com. Or you can catch me at Meridian Swift on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Until next time, this is Meridian Swift. Thank you and bye-bye.